0: show five podcasts i'm your host captain carmen we got the co-host immortal mortal downtown brown hey hey. we got the commish blogger
1: guru dynasty expert in the building uh, you're too kind to me I, I i wish you were this nice to me in person yeah
0: well that's why that's why we do it over the uh speakers <laughs> 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 but, but uh before we get into the meat and potatoes, let's just let's just talk about the big elephant in the room. And that is since my son has bought me a Jason Tatum jersey for my birthday present, the Celtics have been on fire. So what do you guys think of that?
1: Well, I, I can tell you as the uh, you know, as one of the two New England sports fans in the room, at least for the Celtics, that I'm very excited about the Celtics playoff run they've been on here the last the last month or so uh they as of this recording they just knocked out the bucks in round two they took out the defending champs i really thought they were going to blow that series after the after they found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in uh (laughs) in game five a few days ago but you know that they showed some championship medal they went into milwaukee they won a tough a tough game six and then they kind of just ran away from the defending champs there in in the fourth quarter of 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 game seven at home, which is awesome quick turnaround here they're already playing actually as of this recording where Couple of us I know have the game on in the background, but uh, they're actually playing against the Miami Heat right now, Game One of the of the Conference Finals. So, looking forward to that, and hopefully we can get hang up another banner in the city. We're overdue; it's been a few years.
2: You know, Carmen, you took uh, credit for, it, but I think it's it's my sudden change of uh, fandom here. Last last episode, I said I was going to root for the Celtics. I'm, I think I'm going to take the credit here for their their little run they got going on. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. no I mean just my two cents I know you guys are the diehard Celtics fans but I said it last week I'll say it again that it's just good for the sport of basketball you know knocking out you know uh Guinness and over in in Milwaukee and um you know Suns are out now too so you got you got new you know we're gonna get new final teams which is pretty neat um you know who would have thought Celtics and Heater competing now uh you know to go to the finals as well so um you know I I kind of want to see a uh, warrior Celtics. I think that would be a pretty cool finals, just like really cool, you know, fast pace, you know, good shooting basketball. And, um, you know, that's, that's my point of view that I, I would love to see just like for the sport of basketball. I'm not sure what you guys think, but, um, that's what I'm kind of rooting for Celtics warriors.
0: I actually said it to Ian. I said, uh, my, my friend of ours, a neutral friend of ours, I said, uh, I think that the Celtics are actually the team that's best suited to beat the Warriors in a series because the Celtics were the number one perimeter defensive team in the NBA and the Warriors bread and butter is perimeter shooting. The Celtics typically struggle with teams that have dominant big men down low because we don't really have that. So I actually don't mind that series, Aaron, at all. I, I kind of I think
2: it plays into the Celtics' strengths. All right, all right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I like I said, I just like some uh, you know some of the big names being out of the playoffs and watching from the sidelines. You, you know, you, you got LeBron chirping and uh, you know Durant, and then just not you know not in it. So it's kind of kind of neat little change of pace, and I think it does bring a little more you know. eh. You know, I don't know about ratings and whatnot, but, like, if you're truly just a fan of basketball, I like it. So it might bring, you know, fans like me back into watching the games again. Um, I don't know about, you know, the overall sport, you know, if some of the superstars are gone, but um, I like it in that sense. So I'm, I'm going to keep going for the Celtics here. Well, we
0: greatly appreciate it. Um, so we can get – we'll get into the topics. Uh, we, Aaron, me and you – absolutely crushing our dynasty draft right now just crushing it
2: yeah oh yeah
0: mean, <laughs> should we not having a great draft <laughs> we
2: got to we got to brag a little bit
1: <laughs> uh, c- can i let you know in 3 years if you had a great draft or not <laughs> oh you hating on <laughs> us
0: already jeez i think we i, I think we've hit on everything we like so far so uh we'll take it we'll know in a couple years yes but i think if we're just going by talent i, I like what we've done
1: that's good. I'm, I'm glad you're happy with it. We're allowed, we'll are look forward to seeing you guys back in the playoffs this year.
0: All right. All right. So now we'll get into it here. Got some really good topics this week. You know, I, I believe we got some phone in questions too. So uh, it, it's, it's getting into the dynasty fantasy, you know, what do you do? Some people want to know what's, what's the strategy, so, the first one, Commission, I'll kick it off to you is, you know, how do you factor in strength of schedule when making trades or other decisions?
1: Hey guys, Nick here, a uh, big fan of the podcast. I had a good, quick question for you guys um, How much does strength of schedule play a factor in trading players and drafting players? Sure. Uh, that, that, that's a really good question. Um, to answer it from a dynasty perspective, though, I'll start with that end of it. I really don't factor it in very much at all during the offseason portion of the dynasty calendar. And the reason for that is dynasty, it's a long-term game and making decisions based on, you know, the schedule for that season or the opponents that you're, that you're going to be, uh, you know, the players on your team are going to be playing against. That really can be a slippery slope because we're, we're re- really more so concerned with things like value and getting, getting the right mix of players on our team that align with our goals and I, so, so in terms of like the offseason, when I, when I look to build, build my dynasty roster, I'm not really so concerned about that aspect of it. Um, I will say, though, in dynasty, it does. The only time it really comes into play for me is when like um, my, our league trade deadline is, is approaching maybe a few weeks um, away from that. And if my team really is a bona fide contender for a championship this year, then maybe I'll, I'll take a look at some guys who, who do have that favorable finish to their schedule. And the reason I want to wait till then is for one, I want to make sure my team is as good as I think it is before the season starts. And if it is, you know, the NFL really is a difficult thing to to pin down. We think we have all the answers in the off season, but the reality is we don't really know who the teams that are going to struggle against the run are, who the teams that are going to struggle against the pass. You know, once injuries start taking their toll, they really does kind of change the landscape of, of the league from a defensive perspective as well. So once the season gets going and really kicks off, we kind of develop those, uh, those better, more informed opinions. And from there, if I'm looking for that one final piece that I think put me over the top, that's when I'll go into the, that's when I'll go to, to look at a guy uh, and acquire him based on his, his end of season schedule. And a guy that I circled here from a dynasty perspective is a guy like Rashad Penny, who, if he was still available around your league's trade deadline, he was a guy that wasn't worth very much for most of you know the last few years, really. But if you were able to, to go get him right around your trade deadline and, and plop him into your lineup, you were probably made a really deep playoff run. So it's uh overall it's not something that's really on my radar until it really comes down to getting that final piece to win a championship right now.
2: All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wrote down a couple notes as well on this on this question too. Um, yeah, from a dynasty perspective in general, you know, generally speaking, you don't really want to like, you know change your team dynamics around too much based on, you know, one year. Um, But I did, I did, I did write down, Hey, if you're a win now team, you know, sometimes we do get a little antsy. So if you do want to take some of those things into consideration um, for me, sometimes I do look at running back specifically, you know, I don't really look at it as much for quarterbacks or wide receivers um, but I think here, you know, if you're really going to do it, if you're really like, we're really trying to make a, a championship run, I think the running back position is the number one thing to look at. If you want to put yourself in a position like that, to, you know, for a championship run, as you said, you know, with Penny, um, you know, this year, you know, there's things thrown out, you know, like an example is, you know, if the giants can turn around, they have the easiest schedule, um, you know, this year in the 2022 season, but, um, that would be one where like, I can see that possibly um, coming into favor with Barkley having a good season. But, hey, I, I also am thinking from the other angle, uh, one thing you can pull a trigger on, and that I know Carmen and I have used this in the the team we share, is um, if you're in the other side of the spectrum where you're not a playoff team and you have a running back that has a favorable championship week, it is, like I say, by all means, try to like talk them up and try to get the best value you can. In, in, and make, like, a, a great trade where, you know, like, may, maybe you're training a running back at their peak year, don't, you know, like, their peak year, their last year of a contract or something, but they have, they do have that favorable lineup, you might be able to, to to get, like, an awesome trade out of it. So, from that perspective, sometimes you can use it as, like, a bargaining tactic. Um, I think that is sometimes more useful than the other way around.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I like both you guys' takes on it, and so my philosophy when it comes to defensive matchups is if I'm in the similar to what you guys are saying is if I'm in a win now team uh, from a dynasty perspective, I will definitely look at it a lot more than if I was, you know, out of the playoffs and it didn't matter. But like, if I'm, if I'm a, a team that's like, let's say a little long in the tooth with age, but I have maybe one or two good runs in me, I'm definitely going to look at it a little bit more. Now, if it's redraft, I'm almost exclusively looking at the championship playoff rounds and seeing who's playing the Jaguars or another team that's, you know, of of the Falcons. So in redraft, I think you're looking at it way, way, way more. Um, That that being said, I, I do think there are certain players, and I'll touch on this a little bit and then we can go on to the next topic, I do think there are players that I almost think are imp- impervious to a defensive matchup. What, what I mean by that is your Josh Allen's, your Pat Mahomes. Those guys are going to start, or you should start, no matter who they're playing. Uh, do we do we all agree on, on that point?
2: Oh yeah, that's a. I'm glad you brought that up. Actually. I, it, that exact point was going through my mind, um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too. That yeah, like that, you know, we're also talking NFL playoff runtime for the actual teams as well. So you know, even if it's a great defense, you know, we see that you know with the Chiefs, Bills, and you know, the, different different games throughout history where um, you know when the playoffs are on the line in the in real life, um, yeah, you sometimes you can throw throw away some of those statistical you know team defenses out out the window in that respect. So I'm glad you brought that point up too.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I would agree with that, too. You know, you, as the season goes on, you, you figure out who you're – the guys that you can't bench are, you know, guys like Christian McCaffrey in his prime, Todd Gurley in his prime, Jonathan Taylor a year ago. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to see, uh, especially in redraft, a roster where you have the luxury of of benching one of those guys when they're going off every week for for anyone else. But, yeah, you got you got to pick out the guys who are the core of your team, the guys that got you there, and, and sometimes you really just have to dance with who brung it.
0: Yeah, I think I think we're all pretty much on the same page uh in regards to that one. So the next one, Mr. Brownton, I'll kick this one off uh, to you is Hey, Sunday Surefire. At what point do you consider moving on from running backs in dynasty? Thanks. Look forward to listening. When is the right time to sell a running back in dynasty? Now this is in in dynasty. Um, because in, in most redraft leagues there's not that much trades, so it's you know you're going to do way more trading in Dynasty. I think we all know that. So the question is, when is the right time to sell a running back in Dynasty?
2: Yeah, no, this is this is like a million dollar question. I've like I hear it, you know, on other shows, and you know, you see it, and obviously, with, there's a lot of discussions that we all have, and it's it's definitely an interesting question because I think there's different eras in football that this question is has changed, and you know what we know of football before and what we know of football now. So you got to for one you got to keep up with the pace of the era of football you're in I think right because the game keeps changing. So number one is like um, you got to look at look at it very holistically first to say hey what what's going on in the world of football you know where we start seeing more third down backs more shared you know shared running backs and stuff like that and you start you know weeding out people like that um but for me you know if, if you start getting down to you know more nitty gritty things. And especially in, in dynasty where I think this is going to be, you know, kind of a good comparison to where, you know, I'm not always the, the total like analytic guy with a lot of my decisions. Sometimes I, I, I am kind of, I go by a couple other factors sometimes too. And I kind of look at it through, uh, through a business lens as well. So I think going in that respect is looking at running backs contracts is like one of my number one things I'll look at. Cause whatever you know however much you know their length that they have left on their contract kind of signifies you know how much investment the organization has in them number one so i for one i'm always looking at you know how many years do they have left on their contract um is is my first thing i look at and then from there i start just like kind of playing investigator you know from there to say hey now where are some of the signs pointing to right like where you know, this is a perfect time of the year where you got draft players, you know, you got rookies that are coming in, you know, and you kind of look at you kind of if you play put on your GM hat, you know, if they're drafting, um, you know, a rookie running back on a on a running backs last year of his contract, you can kind of connect the dots. Right. So for me, I like playing investigator a little bit. I don't I, I'm not all in with looking at a lot of their, you know, uh, seasonal stats from year to year. Cause I do think there's guys that are definitely, definitely different weeds of the crop, right? Like your Derek Henry's and, you know, even your Curtis Martins back in the day too, like definitely guys that can perform at different ages, but the question is when do you sell them? Right. So I think when signs are pointing to, to the point where the organization is going to go a different way, and, uh, you know, that's also the, the feeling you're going as well, where you do maybe see a drop um, in their in their stats a tad bit. But then you, you look at those other signs, too. I think that you got to play in a factor and, and that's when you got to start talking trades. Um, Commissioner, I'll, I'll let you take it over from there. Um, I might have one or two more things. But for me, I, I wanted to just say more of the holistic uh, point of view with it, um, kind of more of the financial aspect.
1: Sure. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there and uh, understanding the running back contracts and essentially the, the, the length and the term they have left uh, will definitely go a long way in, in deciding what their future looks like. Uh, we have seen a lot of running backs get extensions that we didn't think that they would in recent years, but also a lot of teams do tend that tend to go with the philosophy of once that, that uh, rookie contract is up, that, that four-year period is up, that's, that's when it really is decision time versus some other positions where they, they get multiple contracts for sure. The the way I look at it, at selling a running back and, and moving on in dynasty is if they're 24 years of, of age or younger and they're producing, I'm willing to keep them regardless of my build. You now, if I'm going through a retool where maybe I'm not competing this year, but I think I'm going to be turning the corner pretty quickly. I'll hang on to a guy, even, even though my team doesn't necessarily have the horses around him to be competitive right now, because these guys are really hard to find. So, Unless I'm getting a really big overpay, it's tough to move on from a young, productive running back if you see yourself being at all competitive in the somewhat near future. Um, Now, once they hit age 25 or 26, then it really comes down to what my roster construction and what my goals are look like for, for the short term. If I'm really in it to win it this year and I think that I have the team to do so, I'm perfectly fine with holding a running back who's 25 or 26 years old and, and rotting them for another year or two. You know, I I will put those guys on the trading block just to kind of see how my league feels about them. If I can get a big overpay for them, maybe I'll take it at that time. If I can kind of get some other assets to help me continue to compete this year. But if that deal's not on the table for me, then I'm, I'm perfectly fine just, just holding that guy, plugging him into my lineup each and every week, and, you know, hopefully scoring points. You know, guys like Alvin Kamara and Nick Chubb come to mind for guys who are kind of getting into that age 27 uh, territory. Uh, so maybe they, maybe they're just coming out of this window, but if the value isn't there for guys like that, you just, you just hold the hold on to them and you can, you keep trying to win with them. But what I will say is if you, if you're, if you're holding those guys who are 25, 26, maybe 27, if you're, if you're just re- really doing that honest assessment, you're looking yourself in the mirror and you're saying like, Hey, I, I don't have the horses to compete. You know, there's too many other other teams in this league that are, that are better than me. Um, and if that's the case, I want those guys off my team, you know, before the next season starts, you know, I, I'm not saying as soon as possible, because at the start of an off season, and we've touched, we've touched on this in previous shows as well, but you're at the start of the off season, everyone wants youth, everyone wants draft picks, they want to be getting younger, because when the next meaningful NFL game is months and months and months away, those type of things really take really take hold so just know that if you are looking to rip the bandaid off and kind of hit the eject button on, on some of those veteran players that you might want to hold on to them closer to the start of the upcoming season. That way, you know, you can, people can kind of get the, that year's redraft rankings in their head where they see, you know, guys like Nick Chubb and Kamara going in the first and second round of redraft leagues. And that's when you can usually get the most when you're selling those guys off the teams that think they're one piece away from a championship. But I'm, uh, I'm curious to see what you think on this captain, Carmen.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm kind of, I want I want to look at it from a different angle. Like, so I I'm with you, Bolt, on it. Like the sell window for me, it really totally depends on the way my dynasty team is set up, right? So, like, if I'm a win now team and I think I'm a comp- a competitor, I probably hold on to that guy who's 27 years old, right? However. You also know that that door is closing, um, which at the end of the day, you wait too long and then you get help. You're stuck with the you're stuck holding the bag and you can't move it. So it is like a a fun song and dance to play. Like, you know, Derrick Henry is probably like the perfect example of that. If you dealt Derrick Henry, you know, two years ago. You could have gotten the king's ransom for him. Now, if you were in a top, you know, running team, you probably wouldn't deal them because you were trying to win. So it is, it is a little difficult in that aspect. But but one thing I do like to try to do from a dynasty perspective is I actually try to sell handcuffs and get some kind of value in draft picks for them. That's like one of my, my angles I always go with when, when other league members have guys who a are, you know, you got to worry about whether or not they can stay healthy or B, they just want the insurance, especially if they've, you know, put a lot of capital in, get, in getting that individual where they're willing to deal a future pick for a handcuff who you're never going to start. So that's actually
2: something that I like to try to do um, in, in my dynasty. Uh, teams. You know, Carmen, it's almost like we share a, a, fantasy team. Like I, <laughs> it's just funny. Um, that's the exact same um, thing I was going to bring up too. Those are my last two cents I was going to bring up is the point of handcuffs. I'm a, also a big believer in handcuffs. Um, you know, I wanted to throw out three names here and that's, you know, Davin cook CMC and Derek Henry. Right. Um, you know, the way my brain works with some, of, you know, if you're comparing three of those guys to me, you know, when, you know, when you see different Dynasty rankings of running backs. Out of those three, the reason why I well, I personally have Dalvin Cook in a league, and I also value them higher is because of his handcuff. Like Madison is probably arguably the best handcuff in in the league, um, which is to your point that that's why I value him more. To where you know we're talking about you know when to sell him and whatnot. I'm comfortable having Dalvin Cook close to the end of his contract year, could, knowing. I got Madison right behind him. That's twenty three years old, and worst case is Cook finds a new team. Maybe it might not be as a heavy as a workload, um, you know, that he has in the current present day Vikings. But hey, if Madison's that next guy, I end up with two starting running backs the next year, um, potentially, right? Um, that they're really just kind of switching spots on my depth chart. Where you know, if you can find handcuffs like that, that can be the next day starters where, you know, the, Hey, you ask like, Hey, that doesn't happen all the time, but you know, it really does. Like Derek Henry was uh, DeMarco Murray's handcuff. Right. So it really, you know, I really like looking at that and valuing how good their handcuffs are because that can get determine their future as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah.
0: I, 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 like I said, a lot of times I'll have a handcuff on my team, And I don't have the starting running back. And I'm just at that point trying to flip that handcuff to someone else who has that starting running back and get assets, get future assets. Because the name of the game with dynasty, if you're not going to win, I mean, let's face it, is to try to accumulate enough assets that you can hit on the drafts and eventually become a a real competitor. What do you think on that that last topic there, uh, Kamish?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question for sure. Uh, what to do with those kind of running backs that are further down the, the the fantasy pecking order? And I do I do like to roster a lot of handcuffs, and I like rostering other people's handcuffs the same way you know you guys have mentioned. I think it's actually even really it's really important to do that in a rebuild as well because you have one thing you have on uh, to your advantage in a rebuild is you have a number of roster spots. And you might think like, well, why do I want all these, you know, second and third string running backs, you know, just just taking up spots on my bench. And the reason you want those guys is because, as we know, the, the NFL season, is, it's an absolute meat grinder, particularly at the running back position. You know, as these backs start to fall, you know, in the, in towards the middle of the season, you like you guys have said, you get these these teams that made investments for the short term in running backs. And now that they're you know, they're high priced additions from the offseason are, are going down. They're more inclined to to give you something for these pieces. I think a guy got like Darrell Williams, I was able to get a, a future second round pick for. You know, there was a guy for, for me. I, I was in the, I was like 0-7. I'm I'm rebuilding here. Like I I don't need anything from Daryl Williams now or later because he's not going to be worth much in future years. But to someone else, he he is he is valuable. So really, in some ways, these guys that you might think are just are just waiver wire trash, they really can't be treasure to other owners. So definitely don't be afraid to roster a bunch of running backs in a rebuild. You know, because contrary to popular belief, you can you can roster those guys and try to move on from them for for some type of value down the road, even if there isn't an immediate payoff for a player like that.
0: Yeah, I think we all are pretty much on the same wavelength when it comes to that topic. So this this next topic, you know, I'll, I'll actually kick it off and then I'll let you guys go around the horn with it. Is that?
2: Hey, guys, I was wondering what your strategy was during the mid to late rounds of a rookie draft. Thanks. Love the show.
0: You know, what's my general strategy in mid to late rounds of rookie drafts? So it depends. I I think 100% the strategy depends on two things. One is what is your current roster, uh, lineup look like? And then two, what does the, the rookie draft class look like? And where do the strengths lie? So, uh, for example, we can look at this this previous draft class, where most people say uh, Brees Hall is the clear-cut number one running back, and the rest of the guys are, are 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 tier below him. Right? What I like to do when I'm talking mid to late round uh, rookie picks is I will look at it from a perspective of, okay, if I don't have that top tier pick at running back, and I'm and I'm running back dependent but all these other guys are kind of jumbled together. Well, maybe I'm going to take the best valued guy in the mid to late round and then take a dart throw on one of those running backs because I all see them in the same bunch. If, if that makes sense,
1: uh Yeah, no, I, I definitely see what you're saying with that for sure. Um, you know, the, the, way, the way I attack a, uh, you know, the mid to late rounds of, of a rookie draft, is a little bit different than the earlier rounds. Where, you know, in, in the early part of the draft, you you really want to uh, draft based on tiers. So like you you group guys in different collections of of players, and you you just trade back value to, to accumulate more value, um, and you know whether it's more picks or or established players and whatnot. And you draft at the end of those tiers, and you know once a tier break comes, you make sure that you get your guy. But in the second, in the you know mid second round to late second round into the third round, you quickly enter go get your guy territory. And, it, and the reason being is at, at this stage of the draft that the hit rates are, are really low, kind of regardless of position. So collecting any type of value you can uh, becomes more important. And, you know, just finding those guys can, that, that you think has any chance to help you is, is really what you're looking for. So for me, those guys typically fall into the running back category. And you might think, well, why is that? You know, other positions have, have longer shelf lives and whatnot, but you know, the, the reason I highlight the running back position in this stage is because what you need to be fantasy of fantasy viable is to be on the field with the football in your hands. And it sounds basic, but if you look at the other positions, you know, most if you look at wide receiver, like most teams run three wide receivers out there. And it's typically the same guys out there, you know, play after play, you know, with, with a minimal rotating in, you know, if the only one quarterback can start for a team and tight ends are, are, are good. It's really good to have the great ones, but it typically takes some time to develop, which is fine. But, if you're taking a guy like that, you have to know that they're not going to going to help you right away. And if a pass catcher gets hurt again, whether it's a you know a receiver or a tight end, they it, there's a lot of different ways that a team can can fill that void. You know, so if you're rostering a four string rookie wide receiver, they may not get more looks if the wide receiver two on his team goes down. You know, the tight end could take on more responsibility. The other wide receivers could could take on more of that, more of those vacated targets. Even the running backs could chip in with some of those short area targets. Or the team could just say, screw it and run the ball more. So, And the opposite of that, though, is the running back position. And it's more, a lot easier for a running back to kind of step in there, even as a young player. And with all the volatility at the position and so many injuries passing, you know, coming through, um, the team still needs to run the ball, even in a pass-happy NFL. So I, the average number of rush attempts per game last season in the league was 26 and a half. So if the starting Bell Cow running back goes down, the backup running back might not take on that same workload. They might not get the 15 year so carries, maybe 20 carries in some cases as the Bell Cow would, but if, if you can get if you can find a guy who gets you late in the draft that gets you like 12 to 15 carries in a, you know, taking over that role, you know they quickly become fantasy viable. And you know, a guy like Elijah Mitchell was a great example of that last season. He comes in and he was, you know, really a uh, mid to late third round pick in a lot of drafts. But if you rostered him down the stretch of last season, he was paying dividends for you each and every week and you couldn't get him out of your lineup. So no, that's a long winded way of saying that the path to production, the path to getting on the field is much simpler for an NFL running back than it is for any other position group that isn't being drafted in the early rounds of rookie draft. Aaron, what do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I think you brought up a lot, a lot of good points. And um, you know, the, it's, It's a tricky question too, because everybody's in a different position, you know, in drafting strategy, you know, whether you're, you know, you're truly rebuilding and, or, or just, you know, what, what have you. Right. So, um, I want to revert a little bit back to, you know, a few episodes ago, we talked about, you know, what is just your overall strategy when drafting? I think it was, you know, one of our first tier episodes, you know, you, you said talking about drafting in tiers. Um, you know, I mentioned for me, this is, I, I, Really go by this throughout whatever round we're in, whether it's the first, second, or third round. Um, I said I look at you know just the overall talent, athletic ability, right. Uh, Number two was um, just what type of position are they falling into on the team they got you know drafted onto, and then third was just the eye test, right. So I'm not gonna go too deep in those three, but I'm going. I'm only bringing those back up because I'm I'm just presuming that you know, if, if people are wanting to fall in those footsteps that you kind of went through that with, you know, whoever, whoever is up, let's say you're up in the, the second round and you're debating a couple of different players is I still have those three categories that I'm, I'm looking at with every single choice. Right. Um, and then from there, uh, there's a couple other things, uh, that, that I did write down is, you know, know, know your league mates too. Um, you know, I think it is, important to kind of see who's drafting around you, you know, where, where, what their needs are as well. Um, you know, I can share a funny example that, you know, I saw, um, you know, Pickens was, I was up and Pickens was like the next on the ADP. Right. So the guy right after me was a Steelers fan. I'm like, Hey, Pickens is going to go here unless you, unless you want him, Right. So I was able to, you know, trade down, give him Pickens. And then, um, you know, Talking about you know hype season with rookies, sometimes they overpay, right? So I still got you know kind of a younger. You know, I think I got James Robinson, and then like two picks behind that, right? So if you're not totally satisfied with what talent you got right there, always remember it's okay to trade down at times, uh, which which we all know that as well. Um, but then when you finally got to make your decision and you've narrowed down to to a position, whether you're, you're okay, if you said I'm going to draft a quarterback. For me, I'll look at all right. Is it a battle? Are they going to go into a battle where do they have a shot at starting? Um, meaning, okay, a lot of these situations are quarterbacks that they're probably on a pretty crappy team at this point, where they might not be the day one starter. But hey, I've said in other shows that hey, as soon as like there's a wrist sprain, like the the coaches are just eager to get this rookie out there to see what he can do. Right. So I like, I like getting, um, you know, quarterbacks like that if they've passed your, you know, your other categories that I mentioned earlier. For running backs, it's, it's really the same thing. Like just the battle, or do they have a position battle? What's the depth chart look like in the team as well? Do I think they have a legitimate shot as the number two back? I think is important. But uh, for wide receivers, a little bit more complicated. Um, Here, if you've decided, hey, I want a wide receiver, I've narrowed it down to where, if if it looks like they're gonna walk into either a wide uh, you know, a, a one or two spot on the team, you gotta draft them. Like if you're in the mid second and it looks like um they have a legitimate shot as the number two, generally not a one because that's usually in the first round. But if they're gonna be a number two on their team, have a very good shot at competing, grab them. Um, I think that's I think that's a very important. A lot of times these guys fall into the slot category where they're the number three. That becomes a little more tricky where there you got to take it down another level for me where um, I look at the quarterback, how good the quarterback is. Once again, with the team, you know, how what type of pass volume that team, you know, is looking like. Do they have a franchise QB? But then as Pat mentioned, too, if there's injuries, hey, can this can if this wide receiver has to step up, is it in a prolific offense where they can really boom, you know, for years to come? Or, hey, are they going to struggle? couple years and then they, they might like, um, you know, run themselves out of the league if they don't really make a dent in production. Um, I think that slot category is really tricky sometimes, which most of these guys fall into. I think you got to really look at who's leading them at, at quarterback at that point, because they kind of determine their future uh, success, sadly. So I said a lot, not sure. Final thoughts there. Yeah, no, I, I guess my final take
0: on it too is, when you're talking, you know, that position drafting, the other point is uh, I think if you're a dynasty owner, it's similar to what Pat was saying about, uh, you know, you have to wait for guys to, to like, especially with tight ends. But my, my only advice is you have, you have to be patient too. Don't be so quick to draft a guy and then cut them for, you know, a free agent and then you'll, kick yourself when you realize that the second half of the season, all of a sudden he's figuring out the offense. And then now he's clicking and you are killing yourself because you, you weren't patient. It's like, like someone like Armand St. Brown, you know, he didn't come out the gates, you know, prolific toward the end of the year though, that guy was on fire. So I I think that's my only other advice when, when you're drafting those guys who maybe aren't like the, surefire home runs, you know, they're mid, mid to late round guys, you know, be be a little patient with them and and, and see how it shakes out.
1: No, definitely. And I'll, I'll kind of put a ball on that topic for us here with, with these last comments. We've, we've talked a lot of really good things here about what to do with the picks, you know, when you're making them, what types of players to look for, what type of, uh, you know, other intangible things that you want to see. Uh, from from these guys that you're, that you're drafting in this range. And that's all great. The other thing to keep in mind with these, these picks too is that these late picks don't really have a ton of value at all during the season. They're kind of just throwing pieces in, in a lot of trades. But once your your draft is on the clock and those picks come, come around, that's when you can capitalize on, on the value of these picks. And sometimes if you don't love a guy on the board, there's nothing wrong with pushing a, a draft pick back a year or two, you know, if you're sitting there with a late third round pick and you're like, I don't really like many of these guys, you know, or I think some of them might be available, you know, in afterwards on the waiver wire, then there's nothing wrong with kicking that, dr- that third round pick back just back a season. Now, sometimes it's nice to have that future draft pick in your pocket because it's, it's a much more tradable asset. You know, these, these hit rates here are low. So in all likelihood, you're going to be taking a guy onto the back end of your roster. Who's not going to be very desirable to anybody? And if you find yourself as a contender and you need a one more piece to toss into a deal to to get get another player that you think will help put you over the top, sometimes it makes that process a lot easier to have that future draft pick, you know, to 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 play with, even if you're not hanging on to it for an entire year or two to actually make the selection itself. So keep in mind that we, it's easy to fall in love with rookies this time of year. We've all done it. We're getting all we're we'll all do it again at some point in the future. But it isn't there's absolutely nothing wrong with kicking those draft picks down the road a year or so, especially later in the draft.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I agree with you there. Um, So last topic here folks. And this one is, you know, how do you like to spend your free agent budget in dynasty? Uh, I'll, I'll go last on this one. Uh, Aaron, you want to, you want to kick off your, your free agent budget in dynasty and in redraft so why don't you give us a a taste of both worlds
2: (laughs) yeah no this is funny so you know me personally like i think you make fun of me a lot in my spending habits right so um my you know my recommendation i i think it honestly works for both right is um save it save your money um there's what makes us think that we know more than the coaching staff the assistant coaches the gm Preseason, after you've drafted these players, that you're going to hit on free agency. Yes, there's some that come out that are undrafted in our fantasy drafts. That you know is you know that look kind of shiny, but the truth of the matter are is that um, you know until they hit the field and until you start seeing them with your own eyes, the coaches really start seeing how they're doing. That's truly when you know you can make better decisions how you're spending these guys. Like there's probably plenty of examples that out there of of people we've wasted free agency money on like right after a rookie draft that barely hit the field. Right. So, um, my advice is to save it when you got more, um, you know, playing time and tape and, uh, that you have on these guys that you can make a better decision on them. Cause you're really just kind of blindly, my opinion, you're more blindly, um, you know, putting out this free agent money, um, preseason, um, when you know later on in the year you might really need that extremely bad where if you are in a win now situation this is applies for, for both dynasty and redraft because a lot of those free agent guys are guys that you might want to help you win a week and they're not really your dynasty player um you know for you know five to ten years out they're they're like hey i need i need a a bi-week guy or bi-week filler right so my overall advice is to save it. There might be one or two you might want to spend a little bit higher on, you know, but overall, try to save your money. You're going to spend it more methodically later on in the season. So that's my advice.
1: Okay. Yeah. I hear what you're saying there, Aaron, for sure. But I actually have a, a pretty, uh, pretty contrasting opinion there to, to that. When I, I look at my free agent acquisition budget or my, my fab, if you will, uh, when, it, when it comes to dynasty in, in particular, now, if I'm playing in a league where I have a few roster spots to play with or we have a taxi squad where we can stash rookies on there for a year or two, I'm all about spending between even up to between 25 to 50 percent of my fab budget immediately following the draft. And here's why because if you have those spots, take advantage of them. those, those roster spots are an asset. Every year there are guys in fantasy who, who go undrafted that help teams win. I'm talking guys like James Robinson, you know Elijah Mitchell, if he was in a league that didn't didn't quite make the cut in the third round of your drafts. And we're talking about these really, really low cost dynasty lottery tickets that you can just stash. Sure, you're spending a little fab on them. And If you miss, no problem. But if you spend a little bit of fab on these guys and they hit, now you could benefit from guys like this for you know four, five, six, seven years. You know, maybe more in some cases. If you're drafting maybe a quarterback or, or grabbing these guys on, on you know off your waiver wire using just a little bit of fab. So to me, you know, fab dollars they're there for you to use. Make sure you use all of it every single year, and. You know, these this is the time of year where you can spend a couple bucks on a guy and maybe he can he could do something for you. Now in a redraft I, I fall somewhat more in line with what you're you what you're saying is it to wait. Obviously you know in a redraft you're not you're not using a lot of this this budget before the season starts but once it gets going don't be afraid to spend a lot of it in the in the early weeks of the year because like I said earlier the NFL is a really difficult thing to to get a grasp on before the season starts. And so we need, to, we need to wait for those teams to tell us with their actions who's getting the playing time. From a guy who comes to mind from a couple of seasons ago is a guy like a James Conner. You know, he was a guy who was available you know, really late in the process that you could get, you know, after a big week one. So the time to strike to set yourself up for the rest of the year with your fab in a redraft league is, is shortly into the season from the first month of the year or so. But I do like to save about 25%, maybe 33% of that, of your fab to have in your back pocket just to kind of give yourself a, a a shot at a stud, like a guy like, uh, who's going to be a league winner, a guy like Rashad Penny from last season comes to mind. So it is nice to save a little bit at the end to kind of take that last throw at the dice at a player. But overall, I, I am actually more in favor of spending your free agent acquisition budget earlier on in the process, you know, in the earliest part of the season in redraft and right after the draft in the dynasty.
0: Yeah. Um, so anyone who knows me growing up, I was, I'm, I'm like uh, your typical 220 hitter, but God almighty, if I get a hold of it, it's going <laughs> over the fence, right? So I'm kind of that way when it comes to my fab budget. <laughs> so I, 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 I swing for the fences, guys. I absolutely swing for the fences. So if I like someone and I'm bullish about them, I'm going to spend – or 70%, 80%. I want to guarantee I'm getting my guy, right? Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's my, you know, I can say in my keeper league, I I spent my whole budget on Alvin Kamara his rookie year because he was a free agent, and no one knew who he was. I was very glad I did that because I had Alvin Kamara for two years as a keeper. So there's pros and cons to it for sure. But I think I lean more towards you, Kamish. I mean, I'm probably more aggressive with it. I think that was also how I ended up landing Robert Woods. He was a free agent. Oh, yeah. And I spent a healthy sum to get him. And uh, I think that panned out for a couple of years, you know. So there's pros and cons for sure. Um, but I'm definitely a swing for the fences type of guy <laughs> when it comes to my budget. It's usually, at, at, it's a good thing that Aaron co-owns with me because he can talk me out of uh, going all in on some of these sp- spending sprees with free agent budgets. But yeah, I, I'm more towards your end of things, Kamish. If I really like someone and I'm bullish on them and I got the roster spots early, I'm I'm definitely
2: going to swing for it and, and try to get my guys. No, you know, I, I think, for instance, if we have like $500 to, to spend with, I probably have spent at least $400 of it up to like week four, right? I'm just saying I'm not blowing it all through before we've even seen the games yet, right? So I typically do spend more maybe on one pr- person on, you know, pre, you know, preseason. And then I spend most of my dollars week one through four, kind of similar to what Pat said there. Um, but I do want to save maybe like 50 bucks for the rest of the year because you do want to outbid people on like maybe onesie, $2, maybe some $10 bets later just to because sometimes you try to get away with it that you don't put any fab on, on a player and somebody else has got the same idea with you. And even sometimes if you just throw $1 on it, you're going to get them right. So I like saving a little bit that way towards the end of the season. I, I guess I should have elaborated a little bit, but I would say like at least through like weeks one through four, I've spent most of it. Um, but yeah, I don't blow. I don't blow through a preseason.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And there's, there's different ways to, ways to look at it for sure. You know, it, when those guys do come available a little bit later, it is nice to have that fab to kind of go all, all in on a guy. If you want to, yeah, I can, I can definitely see the value in that for sure. Um There's it. it, that really is what makes this fun is that there's there there is no one way to to spend your Fab budget, you know, and what I would say is if you're hanging on to it, whether it's redraft or dynasty, you know, most fab dollars don't they don't transfer over from one year to the next. So don't be afraid to to spend it all. You know, if it's if you're walking into the semifinals or your championship week, even and you have some Fab money left, hell, if if there's a defense that you like out there, just spend it all on that. Go get go get that that last final piece. You know, the worst thing you can do is. I think we'd all agree with this is the worst thing you can do is, is take that money into the off season because then it just goes away. So use your right. fab as an asset, use your roster spots as, as an asset. Those things are really important. And when you're making your bids, and this is the last piece I'll, I'll mention on this is don't be afraid to spend a couple extra dollars on a guy. Like you just decide like, Hey, I want to spend 10% of my budget on, on this player. Well, other people might think the same, you know, and if you're talking about hundred, say you have a hundred dollars in fab, if you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to put $10 on this guy. Want to put eleven or twelve dollars on it? There's there's almost no difference there, and if that's what tips the scales, if you're willing to spend ten percent, you're willing to spend eleven percent or twelve percent, maybe even fifteen percent. Don't be afraid to tack on a couple of extra dollars there just to lock in to really give yourself a better opportunity to get that guy. Because I can't tell you how many times I've done this, and I have checked the uh, you know sleeper in the, the next morning when the waivers process overnight and. know basically i see two other bids for ten dollars and my twelve dollar bid was successful in the end and it's it's happened to me on the on the other end of the spectrum as well and that's kind of frustrating but just don't be afraid to pony up an extra buck or two or a couple bucks to to make sure you get the guys that you're looking for in
2: waivers that's a good point yeah definitely don't do like um you know uh as you said like the 10s the 20s the 50 if you're doing 50 yeah definitely do like Fifty-five or sixty-five or something. That is a great point there. That don't do like a generic number. I, I definitely agree with you there. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I guess one other caveat. I'll throw in the, a monkey wrench in, in this whole conversation, though. Even though I'm a proponent, a big fan of like spending big, I do think if you're a dynasty owner who who has their lineup predicated on. You know, one of their starters who's injury prone. I think it's not a bad idea to hold on to your fab, knowing that there's a chance that that guy's going to get hurt and that you may want to see how it shakes out, who the next guy up's going to be. And then you can go ahead and blow your money on that. So I don't think it's a bad idea if you know that's the case. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say the guy that we all know who I'm talking about. Um, just because there's certain rules that we have to keep around here, but if, if, if you know, you've got a guy who, you know, Adam Thielen, for example, you know, if, if he's one of your starters and you're not exactly sure who's going to step up in Minnesota, it's not a bad idea to keep your fab budget knowing that, Hey, if he pulls a hammy, I want to be able to outspend the rest of the league for the next man up. If I'm a competitor. If that, if that makes sense, commission.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying, especially if you have cer- certain situations targeted. Uh, I, I definitely see where you're coming from that. And I'll maybe I'll, I'll throw my own little monkey grandstand into this as well. And, and I, I can, I can lead off this, this quick hitting piece here. If, if we need to, But do you guys have any good examples of fantasy impact players that you yourself invested some fab on that, uh, that made a difference on your lineup? So while you guys are uh, are thinking about that cuz we, we did not discuss this in advance I'll I'll throw out my guy and I got this guy back in 2018 uh, it was right after week 2 I got him maybe maybe two, maybe week 3 very early in the season regardless he had a couple double digit scoring games uh, that he was getting some good target volume and that was a guy of the name of uh, Tyler Boyd that I got there's a nice write up on him on the on our blog as well sundaysurefire.com/blog and he's a guy I spent 2% of my FAB budget on. You know, I spent it early in the year. I targeted a guy who was getting some run and an offense that was playing with a, a bad defense behind it. You know, I knew they were going to be in situations where they were throwing the ball a lot. And, you know, Andy Dalton was, was the quarterback who was certainly not a world beater, but he showed that he could support fantasy relevant wide receivers. So that was a guy I just said, hey, you know what, I have this roster spot. Or I have a guy at the end of my bench that I, I don't really want. So I'll move on from him. I'll take a shot on Boyd. And if Boyd didn't work out, then whatever, you know, I, I would pick another guy two weeks later and I would move on from Boyd and I would, I would stash this guy on the end of my bench because those bench spots are valuable. You want, it's okay to have guys you can churn and burn out of there because when you see a buying opportunity, particularly a cheap buying opportunity like this one, you want to be able to pounce. So that's a guy that I had for a couple of years on my roster. And then I was able to, you know, eventually move on from him for, for something better. So, you know, take this seriously. Don't just look at it as you know monopoly money that it doesn't mean anything. Just really use it to maximize what's on the back end of your roster. And uh, you know, now, now that I've, I've taken up a couple of minutes there, I'm curious <laughs> to see what uh what Aaron Brown has for a for a fab steal that he got at some point in his <laughs> career.
2: You know, it's funny. I, I think I got the uh, other side of the spectrum where <laughs> I'm. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm thinking back just closely to last season where uh, you know, Mister Captain Carmen pulled a fast one on me where. Kyler Murray went down. He spent some fab on uh, Colt McCoy. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. Why, why are you spend fab on, on Colt McCoy? You kind of stole him from me where he knew, you know, my other, my backup QB was on a buy. He got Colt McCoy. He's like, Oh, you want to trade him? You know, I'll, I'll take him from me for like a second. And I was like, no way I was going to do that. But I'm pretty much, you know, going into that next week without a starting QB in my lineup. Um, so it's a funny example of a time where you wanted fab, you know, so I, I, maybe that's part of my response earlier there. Like I have a couple, you know, horror stories, dad, and like Elijah Mitchell, where I didn't, you know, I got outbidded on Elijah Mitchell. I think the whole league got outbidded because, um, you know, the guy who has him currently didn't spend any preseason fab and he just spent most of it on Elijah Mitchell. And he's like, he's starting running back the rest of the season. Right. Um, so I kind of, I don't really have that many. I have a couple of the, like cheap guys, I got like Brevin Jordan and, and stuff like that, that I think have, you know, some decent futures, but I don't really have any, you know, uh, I, I I'm, I'm more on the other side of the spectrum where I got, <laughs> I got uh, outbidded cause I didn't have enough fab left. Right. So I'm, I, I send my advice for my mistake uh that I made.
0: Yeah, I got I got two. So, uh one um you know was a a one year wonder so to speak, uh dynasty wise and I think I forget what year it was, but Pat, you can help me with this cuz it was in our league. Um it was his rookie year though, and I, I grabbed Philip Lindsay uh as a free agent and I don't forget what I, I I forget what I spent, but I don't think it was a lot. Cause everyone was on the Freeman train. And I, I remember I was tooting the horn on Lindsay <laughs> that year, <laughs> but Lindsay actually ended up being a very, a very solid producer for that year and a half. So that I didn't win because of him, but he was definitely the better running back in that backfield for sure. I think, I think we all can finally agree to that
1: yeah for sure he had two years there 2018 and 2019 to kick off his career where he went over a thousand yards and had 16 total touchdowns or 16 uh touchdowns on the ground in that time span so yeah that's that's another another great example of a guy who uh you know if if you had a good team around him was was definitely helping you compete for a championship for a couple seasons and that didn't cost yeah. you anything
0: no i got him super cheap and everyone was like that guy's too small I just kept arguing about it. And then he just kept performing and performing. So it would have helped me out if I was a contender, but I I was not, but I do have another one. And and this one was kind of a, it's a a real jerk move, similar to what Aaron Brown was talking about. (laughs) But um, I was in another two quarterback league and I had uh, three open roster spots and I had done the math and I looked at all the remaining 12 teams. And I had realized that there was only three starting quarterbacks left as free agents. So I made it a conscious investment in week three to grab the three starting quarterbacks that were left, even though I didn't need them. And everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm just going to bide my time and wait for an injury. So uh, I think it was like week six or seven, you know, went down with an injury, and then next thing you know, I'm pulling the trigger on a deal that lands me, you know, a, a starting wide receiver to go on a championship run. So I also do. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh,
2: too shy to to be a, a complete dink and do something like that either with my Fab. <laughs> That's a good example. I think anytime, like even if they're, <laughs> if you can grab them at their hype part of the season even and trade them. That's also a good slick move. I, I think I've done that more often where I've, I've, I've ended up trading my fab guys for, you know, probably a higher value than what they're worth. I think to your point, that's a good move to make over this conversation too.
1: I love that. I I, I love how cutthroat that is. That's awesome. You know, at the end of the day, we're competing <laughs> and you want to win. So there, there's no friends in dynasty for sure. The very last thing I'll throw out there on fab. I, I know we have talked, we spent a lot of money, a lot of time <laughs> on fab here tonight. Uh, but is don't ever go into a week with an empty roster spot. Like, there's just no reason to do that to yourself. You know, it, there's got to be someone else's handcuff out there, or there's got to be, you know, a, a starting quarterback of some kind, or maybe even a backup quarterback, whatever. Like, you never know what's going to happen from from down to down in the NFL, let alone from week to week. So, like, grab grab a player that you think might has a chance to do something, you know, at, you know if someone in front of them goes down, even if it's not for that week. Like, you know, if a guy's out for four to six weeks, you you just happen to grab his his back of running back now. Now you got an asset on your hands, just like that overnight. So I, I can't stress that enough. Your roster spots are valuable. Um, you know, don't be afraid to move on from guys that aren't producing, but definitely don't go in, into a game week with an empty roster hole. You're just asking for problems doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, who would have thought we would have spent uh, this amount of time on fab compared to like moving on from uh <laughs> running backs, like, right? Uh, you know, you're
1: just like a bunch of degenerates in this room.
2: Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, well,
0: I, I can tell you right now, as I'm watching our dynasty league draft, our playoffs one, there's some guys that are going to be spending fab early because <laughs> Jalen Tolbert just went, I mean, God almighty. Yeah. <laughs> If that, it's pretty obvious that guy's a Cowboys fan. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's funny.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's, I guess, though, you know, a lot of sayings out there, more than one way to skin a cat, right? But, um, yeah, very <laughs> funny topic. Yeah, I just think it's funny we spent the most time on Fab, but it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the beauty over Dynasty. There's so many aspects in the Dynasty, so many, you know, I was, you know, just having a conversation with one of our newer members in the league er- earlier today over my strategy and like, I it just like why I made this trade or why I did that or why, you know, it's just, there's so many things that, you know, we talk, this episode is all about strategy. I love strategy and just talking dynasty. And I think just, you know, that's all of our loves with it is there's so many points. There's so many <laughs> angles we've thought where some angles there's, you you probably if you sit back if it would make no sense, but at the time it, it makes complete sense to you. So <laughs> I I think it's fun.
1: Yeah, we're we're having fun here. We're just you know, it's it's so fun to pick over all this stuff, and there's no like there really is no off season in Dynasty. We're like it's it's May 17th, guys. We're recording this and we're spending 30 minutes talking about freaking fab dollars that we don't even have yet. Like it's <laughs> like there's like there's no off season in this thing, man. We're we're here 24-7 cranking out content for you folks.
0: Yeah, I mean I can tell you that me and Aaron co-owning in our dynasty team (laughs) talked each other out of making trades with our current draft picks in this draft at nauseam over the last month and a half. (laughs) We, we talked so many damn scenarios, Pat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We did. (laughs) Good though. It comes
1: back to, it comes back to getting good league members in there. Like you want people in a dynasty league that are, you know, that are not going to just shut their brains off once the season's over. Like if you get 12 or 14 or 10, even eight people that are this invested in dynasty and you know, that that's what you're looking for in these leagues. Like don't, if you're trying to fill a league out, like don't just grab like, you know, your dad or like your cousin or something who doesn't, doesn't really pay attention that much to fill out a dynasty league. Like make sure you do your due diligence because when you get a group of people like this together, who, you know, who, who just live, eat, sleep and breathe, NFL and Dynasty year round. Like that, that's what that makes these leagues so much fun. So, like, participation in your league is awesome. And it's glad, I'm glad you guys are taking it so seriously because it's, you know, it, it's definitely more fun that way for sure.
0: Yeah. We're making a playoff push this year. <laughs> Colin, right now, playoff push. Well, we'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we got. We, we spent, you know, a large portion on fab because we're degenerates. And, uh, and like I always like to say, Until next week, peace.